The Startup to Scale-Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. My special guest today is uh, Oliver Erholm, founding CEO at the e-commerce SaaS startup uh, Depict. Oliver launched Depict after realizing that AI is only available for the established retail giants, and he wanted to deliver Amazon-quality product recommendations for any e-commerce store. So, Oliver, excited to hear more about your journey. Welcome to this week's podcast. Thank you so much. Now, you mentioned when we last spoke that your personal goal is to help humankind deal with the massive changes they face with AI. That sounds like a pretty ambitious but laudable yeah. <laughs> goal. I'd love to hear more. Yeah, sure. So maybe I can go a little bit to the beginning, how like the pick that I got started and everything, and that can provide a little bit more uh, context. So as you explained, uh, we, we do Amazon quality product recommendations for e-commerce sites right now. And uh, we started this company two years ago. And before all of this, like I'm one of those people who started programming very early, being very interested in like computer games. And then through computer games, I got into programming and uh, did like my first smartphone app when I was around 12. And uh, it was around the period of when I was in middle school here in Sweden that I, I got this sort of existential teenage crisis. Like, what, what's the meaning of life? All of those things, those questions I asked myself. And I read all of these philosophy books and nothing really spoke to me that much. But then I picked up this sort of esoteric book called Superintelligence by a guy called Nick Bostrom. And, and this book, Superintelligence, what it goes through is um, why, as you mentioned, um, artificial intelligence is kind of the biggest shift that's happening for humanity this century. And like what happens if we create an AI which becomes so smart that it can make an even smarter version of itself. And then you have this sort of, sort of cycle which is exponentially growing. And at some point you have this super intelligent AI which can do anything a human can do and a thousand times better. And this sort of book impacted me so much that... I can kind of see myself pre this book, post reading this book. And um, after I read this book, I kind of said to myself, well, what I want to do with my life is help humanity get through this century of exponentially growing AI in, in the best possible way, in my way. And how old were you when you read the book, Oliver? I think it was 12, 13, something like that. The Swedish school system kind of wants to put everyone in the middle in some way. So if you're far ahead in one subject or if you're behind in one subject they, they ensure everyone kind of stays in the same track so that meant that due to me being very interested in programming mathematics and so forth i kind of felt kind of pushed back i couldn't go in the pace i wanted to and what i decided to do after that, i read that book is that let's screw all these lectures like let's just instead of going to some weird history class or whatever let's just teach myself on how can I become as good as possible within AI machine learning and teach myself 
to do that instead of middle school. So instead of going to lectures, I, I did like massive open online courses in AI. I, I did this open source projects, which I uploaded to the internet. And when high school was approaching through that, I got in touch with Klarna actually through one of these projects within machine learning that, that I open sourced. And when I was 15, we decided that I, I should first, I, I did this like summer internship and that internship went very well. So instead of going to high school, I actually started working at Klarna when I was 15. How did your family feel about that? You need very open-minded parents and you need a lot of convincing as well, right? But it wasn't like I was out late at night and like doing weird stuff like that. I, I like I actually got a job and like uh, within an area which was pretty good. So I had pretty open-minded parents, but it, it it was for sure kind of a question mark that I would drop out to high school and do all of that. So coming back to Klarna, so that was kind of a very luck, super lucky thing for me, right? Like you get on this much faster learning track when you're actually applying yourself, doing like AI research within the industry. And it was there at Klarna, the idea for the pick.ai sort of started to come about since Klarna, they're in e-commerce, right? We did a research within AI. And if you do stuff within machine learning, a very common frustration people have is that there are all these super cold demos you can have with AI machine learning right now, like, oh, AI did this cool thing here, did this cool thing there, but there's less business impact today. And if you look within e-commerce and for instance, Amazon, where there's like, they've been able to create an organization where they can successfully apply machine learning all of their organization and get super concrete impact. That's, that's a pretty cool thing to see. But what I also saw was that if you look within the rest of the e-commerce industry today, outside of the giants such as Amazon, there's less real impact. There's more buzzwords within AI machine learning. And that kind of started with, then I kind of got the idea that, hey, maybe we can create this organization where we pull all of the e-commerce sites out there into one place. So we get the aggregated data set of data, since the more data you have within machine learning, the better effect you have, and you get all the talent in one place. By doing that, can we maybe help democratize AI for everyone else? And we start very concretely within solving bad product recommendations within e-commerce right now. So if you go to like an e-commerce product page, you have the main product and then beneath there's this related product section. We focus on creating the algorithms there. And there's such a huge problem out there right now where all of these product recommendation engines e-commerce sites use, they rely only on historical user data to generate the recommendations. And most e-commerce sites have nowhere near the amount of user data people need for them to function properly. So we, we figured out a way to create much more data efficient algorithms. And we sell that as a SaaS product. And we started that two years ago. I was 17 when I started this company. You kind of have to sell the product by just showing the value by doing real A-B tests on e-commerce e-commerce stores. And by doing that, we've been growing very, very fast. And now, yeah, we raised all these rounds and stuff like that. How did you meet your co-founder, Anton? And, and how did the two of you get involved with Y Combinator? Yeah, so 
We met through something called Effective Altruism, which is very tied to this book, Superintelligence, actually. And Effective Altruism is a movement where you try to think very rationally about how can I actually do the most good for the world? If you're sort of a geek and a nerd and like, think, how can I optimize this uh, utilitarian function of doing good for the world? Effective altruism is a movement for that. And it was actually a meetup. It was not in the context of like searching for a co-founder or anything. We just had many aligned interests, you could say. After I was a Klarna and so forth and started the pick and it got some traction, Anton joined when we just came into YC and he's been a very good partnership since then. And what was the Y Combinator experience like? Yeah, so I was 17 and for, for me, it was just this huge learning curve. And also I didn't have any network. We didn't have any network at all. So it's kind of gave us the network and all the sort of know-how and, okay, how, how do you actually operate a startup, talk to users, sell, raise funding, and all of those things. So that was sort of very pivotal. And, and this was right when COVID came. So this was sort of the first real remote YC batch. So there were many things happening at the same time, but we managed to raise a pretty good seed round um, led by Initialized Capital, where we raised $8 million after that. And that really professionalized everything we did and uh, made us be where we are today. What would you say is your single biggest takeaway from uh, Y Combinator? This is kind of personal, but as a person who's very technical-minded, I'm very focused on being correct in everything. But if you want to tell about some advanced algorithm or something like that to, to a new recruit or a customer, maybe you have to be focused on being 100% clear but it's okay to be 80% correct in the beginning. And then you can follow up on all the details, but 100% clear, 80% correct. And that sort of philosophy when communicating really, really helped me in, in many areas. I was very, I was way too focused on the details and that really helped me get much more clear communication in, in most things. I've not heard that one before and I like that. I think I'm going to adopt that one My Myself, I'm going to mention it to my wife as well. <laughs> I think she might find that concept quite useful. Now, scaling a tech venture can be incredibly demanding. What do you do to unwind from the pressures of being a startup CEO? Yeah, so I'm very dedicated for the pict, and I feel like, like as a 19 year old, like. I don't have that many obligations in life right now. So I'm, I'm very all in, but the other things I do are ensuring I get enough sleep, I exercise, and then I meditate a lot, actually. I, I do a lot of meditation. So I grew up with, within my family. My parents did a lot of meditation and it was actually around two and a half years ago, I really started really focusing on meditation and creating a daily practice where I meditated for at least 45 minutes a day. And uh, around four months ago, I actually went to South Africa before the COVID stuff happened there and went for this uh, 10-day Vipassana meditation retreat where um, you literally, you couldn't talk to anyone, you weren't allowed to have eye contact or anything, and you literally meditated for 10 hours 
a day every day and that really really deepened my practice and kind of I call myself Oliver 2.0 after that one since that really helped me and, and, and it's not like relaxing when you do that it's demanding and what you get out of it is sort of not an altered state where you feel oh I'm so relaxed after I meditate but you get altered traits where you train your mind to really behave differently you, you change the up operating system of your mind to behave differently and react differently in various events. How is that feeding back into your life as a CEO, as a tech entrepreneur? Yeah, it's it's, it's super powerful. Like it, it's very much you're 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 eating glass and staring to the base. Like you're dealing with shit and then you're predicting a lot of shit happening and being able to be much more objective and see things from a third-party perspective, uh, you kind of train that skill when you're meditating to just be more objective, be less attached to various emotions or states. And knowing that at the end of the day, it will be all fine. That's been super powerful to be much more rational and take on much more emotional tolls. And sometimes I think some founders kind of don't, pull on the gas as much as they could since they just can't handle the pain, but you can kind of handle much more and be economist with that. that that's been super powerful. Wow. Okay. And do you expect the same level of, uh, of ability to handle the pain from your team or do you give them a bit of flexibility? For sure. Like I found it, find it fun to do what I'm doing. Like I wouldn't go as hard if it weren't fun and like meaningful for me. There will definitely come a period of my life where I like have other priorities, but I, I'm 19. I, I This is the way I work. We have many different working styles at the PICT. So um, what, what we really focus on is having a humble culture where everyone is friendly to each other and, and we don't want any assholes or anything like that. And then we focus on results. So it's not about you crunching x days a week x hours a week or anything like that like we if you need to take vacation you take vacation if you need to take this off you take this day off but at the end of the day it's results and not the butt in the seat that that matters now you launched your business during the pandemic so there's a lot of debate out there at the moment about hybrid working practices versus work from home or work from office What's your philosophy and what have been the challenges, if any, that you've had to overcome in terms of COVID impacting the way the team gels and, and so on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of special operating a startup in COVID in Stockholm and Sweden, since we haven't had the same COVID restrictions. So we've been able to stay in touch, been working from the office a lot in the beginning of the, of the company. But since a while ago, we've moved to a hybrid remote structure. And the hybrid remote is super dangerous if you do it wrong, since it's very easy to create this sort of second tier citizen effect where the people who are remote are implicitly left out in many conversations and stuff like that. So we, we were very, very focused on ensuring that um, even though we are hybrid, hybrid remote, we include everyone uh, in the same way. So, um, you know, we, we basically... All the work we do, we treat as being remote first. And then it happens that some people are in the Stockholm office. So we hire all over Europe in the same time zone. 
and kind of work as a remote first company, even though you're in the office. Then we have quarterly offsites where we're pretty hands-on and have a lot of team bonding activities and stuff like that. We, we were actually just in uh, Tenerife with the whole company for two weeks. So we were having an offsite for five days with various planning meetings and stuff like that. And then after that, since we're hybrid remote, you could decide if you wanted to stay in Tenerife and work from there. So then a large portion of the company were able to work in this house together while it's dark in, in most parts of Europe. And it was a really good team building exercise. And, and we, we will continue having that sort of cadence in the future, even as we scale. scale. That really sounds idyllic. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're very upfront online about your youthful credentials. Yes. Your, your LinkedIn profile states your age. The Depict website details how you began coding at age eight and became the world's youngest AI researcher at age 15. And numerous times in this conversation, you've referenced your age as well. I'm intrigued about that. So many people, tech entrepreneurs, tend to emphasize their their experience, the various businesses they've worked in and how long they've been around. You're emphasizing your youth in your personal and corporate branding. I'd love to hear more about your thinking behind that. So I think there are two reasons. The first reason is that like, it's kind of the elephant in the room sometimes when I'm talking to people or various business contexts. And I find it much better to be super upfront about it and like just embrace it. And what I found is when you do that, you know, some people are kind of spooked by it, but maybe those are the people that wouldn't fit working with the companies to start with. And uh, for the people where it speaks to them, it shows that, you know, we have a very clear vision where, where we're working for this. It's kind of, it's not as normal doing this at a, such a young age. That kind of shows that there's a authentic drive to kind of work towards a mission here. And, and, and that's been very powerful when you're authentic about, about that. So those are kind of the two main reasons that, is embracing the elephant in the room. And then also it stands out. And for some people, it's a way, good way to start the conversation and tell more about our vision and mission and the story behind the company. Well, you're both a very thoughtful and ambitious 19-year-old. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> bringing those two things together, paint me a picture of Depict and the world of e-commerce 10 years from today. Yeah, sure. So... As I mentioned earlier, like I really believe that AI will just continue, com like there are all of these effects that will just continue compounding. And I, I think it's pretty likely that within a hundred years, we can create an AI, which is so smart that it can basically do everything. So in that context, what I really see depicted AI as is being the player, which kind of is able to pull all of the AI capabilities within e-commerce, which is basically just the future of trade, if you think about it, or is the is trade today. And being able to distribute that to everyone in, in the best way which serves the world in the best possible way. Um, and, and we started with the recommendations, which is 
sort of the thing which it has most practical impact within AI today. So if you go to YouTube, like it's all just a recommendation engine, or if you use TikTok, that's a really good recommendation engine, or Facebook and Google ads, that's a really good recommendation engine. You could see Google search as a recommendation engine. So recommendation engines is the thing within machine learning that has had the most impact so far. And we're starting with that to, in the, in the long-term vision, you know, being able to distribute that in, in the best way, which serves humanity. So what might an e-commerce experience feel like for a consumer, a consumer on a website, on an e-commerce website, Christmas 2031, what might that feel like and how might it feel different than the way it feels today? Yeah, so uh, the, the example I usually have is that, you know, as the predictive power of these recommendation engines become better and better, if you want to, for instance, do grocery shopping, it will just know, it will have seen your behaviors from the past and so forth. So you will just open your app and your basket is already filled in. It knows that you buy toilet paper every X weeks. It knows you want this milk. And maybe there's some new thing which it thinks you will be interested in. And then you just scroll it through and everything seems great. And then you click buy. And that's an example of the sort of shopping experience you can create once the predictive power is so good, right? So I really believe that as the predictive power of the recommendation engines increase, the UI and UX of e-commerce sites will look less and less like the traditional postal order layout, which e-commerce sites have today, and more tailored towards what sort of problem and need am I serving right now? Like maybe it's not just a transactional experience, like in the grocery example, where you just have your basket filled in and you click buy. Maybe you want to have a more engaging shopping experience and you gamify it or anything like that. But at its core, the experiences will be much more tailored to your needs since the predictive power is so good. Now you've explained a little bit about some of the books and writers that have inspired your philosophical journey who's inspiring you most i know it's still early days but who's inspiring you most in terms of your entrepreneurial journey so any successful entrepreneurial thinkers or or actual entrepreneurs whose ideas whose approach whose success has inspired you i actually tried to write it down before and Maybe not Sally. It's not that original, but I am definitely inspired by Elon Musk, for instance. I'm inspired by many other individuals. Maybe you don't fully embrace all the aspects of some entrepreneurs, but there are different aspects of each entrepreneur you could really pick and choose from. I, I'm, I, I really think a guy called uh, Sam Bankman Fried Fried is pretty cool as well. He's very deep within this thing called effective altruism, where he he started this company called FTX, where he's really aligned that company towards being an effective altruist organization. So that's also someone who's maybe less mentioned who I look up to. So you've mentioned effective altruism a couple of times. So presumably there's a website, something like effectivealtruism.com that people can look up and find out more about that organization? Yeah. So there are many great, great resources. 
effectivealtruism.org. There's a guy called Peter Singer who has a good TED talk about effective altruism and he has a lot of books about that. Then there's also a website called 80,000hours.org which goes into what you can do with your life and careers, like what, what you're actually spending all of your time working on to have the most impact in your life. So those are definitely resources I, I'd uh, recommend looking into. And for me, effective altruism is, it creates this super great sense of meaning in my life since it's sort of egoistic as well, where I can kind of, by having this great sense of meaning and by really thinking about it, you realize how much impact you can actually have if you apply yourself. And uh, uh, that's something which is very motivating for me. I'm definitely going to check out those uh, websites, effectiveactivism.org and 80,000hours.org. I think you've inspired me and hopefully some of our listeners to um, bring a bit more purpose to our lives. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you join me today, Oliver. I'd like to wish you and depict huge success on your journey to uh, shake up the world of e-commerce and indeed the world of AI. Thank you so much. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent. 